it's such an encouragement um, to my heart and to my soul uh, to be able to come to my church family and together we cry out to the Lord, we sing praises to the Lord, we rejoice and we lament, uh, we celebrate uh, the, the marvels of God's grace, and at the same time, we, uh, we long together, long for, uh, for, for God's mercy. We long for the Lord to, uh, to make all things new. And yet we remind each other that this is not a pie-in-the-sky, by-and-by promise or wish, but that this is the very heartbeat of our God. And that's why we gather together. That's why we worship him. That's why we can celebrate and why we can rejoice and why we can weep and long and lament because he is the God of every season. Amen? He's the God of every moment. He's the God of every nation. He is, he is the God of all of reality. And it's good for us to remind ourselves of that. Uh, that, that. That this is not something that we do, you know, because we're just weird and we would much rather gather together, uh, almost like Comic-Con, you know, gather together and, 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 and talk about, you know, these stories that are not true and are not real. And perhaps we even come and, you know, dressed up in costume and all of that. No, that's not what this is. This is a gathering to realign our hearts with reality. And reality is our God is here. And our God is alive. And our God is the only one that stands. And we can trust in him in every moment, in every season. We can trust in him with every geopolitical uh, uh, trial and suffering and all of that because we realize that every knee will bend and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And so we are not phased. Even though we lament, we do not lament as those who have no hope. But rather we lament and cry out knowing that our God is able and that he who hears our cry will answer and he will give grace to help in the time of need. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis. I love how I say let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis like it requires effort. Um, it's the first book of the Bible uh, for those who, who, who didn't catch up on the, on the, pick up on the clue Genesis. That's okay. Uh, Genesis, and we'll turn to chapter 26. Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Genesis 26. Genesis chapter 25. We'll turn to Genesis chapter 25. And when you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Genesis chapter 25 is where we are. And beginning of verse 1, it says, Abraham took another wife. You may not have known that. Uh, in between last week's section and this week's section, Sarah dies. Sorry to screw up the plot for you. Uh, but, but Sarah uh, dies and Moses remarries in chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimron, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Latushim, and Lamin. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldaah. And all these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, that, that would be another plot twist, Abraham had concubines. Um, what were concubines? Concubines were kind of like 
girlfriends of some sort that were a little bit more committed than that, and so it's complicated. The Old Testament is complicated, um, but this is what was going on back in those days, and up until this time, the Lord hadn't given any type of stop and say, hey, don't do that, that's bad. That's a way to a few more generations before the Lord finally does that, but, but it says to his sons and uh, the sons of his concubines, he gave gifts, and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. Okay, now skip down. Verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and 40, or Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. This may sound familiar to you if you know his dad's story. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Any of you who have ever been with child that felt like there was a nation in your womb. <laughs> um, that's how that was actually true of her. Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the older or than the, than the other. I'm sorry. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body like a hairy cloak. Uh, so they called him Esau. Uh, Esau is basically hairy. Uh, so they called him, looks hairy, let's call him Harry. And so that was his name. Uh, afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Yaakov, Jacob, heel grabber. They were very creative with their names back then. Um, grab the heel. Oh, he's the heel grabber. Now, we know from uh, Hebrew, understanding Hebrew language and so on, the idioms that are involved in there. Heel grabber is kind of like what we mean when we say someone pulled the rug from under someone. Okay? It's kind of that same uh, analogy. So, it's a deceiver. It's a trickster. It's a con man. All right, and that's what he, they, he's grabbing the heel and they say, oh, he must be a heel grabber. We'll call him heel grabber. And he was, uh, and we'll find out a little bit more about that. And so his name was called uh, Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him or when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. <coughs> Excuse me. Once when Jacob, oh, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that, uh, that part in just a little bit, but, but we'll stop right there. That Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So let's pray that God would give us insight and understanding into this family that as we will see, gets really complicated. And let's also see how God, in the midst of it all, is faithful to his promise. Okay, let's pray. Father, we need your help. Help us to understand. Help us to grasp what you would have for us to grasp today. Lord, I pray that even though this story is filled with drama, and it is filled with tension, and it is rather entertaining to read. Father, I pray that we may also hear your words to us, that you are a God who keeps your promise, no matter how big the mess. Thank you, Lord. We know that there are some who perhaps are in the middle of a mess right now, and they need your help. They need your guidance. They need your wisdom. Father, I pray that you would indeed draw near to them. And I pray, Lord, that they would know that you have got everything under your control. Lord, there are some who are here that don't believe in Jesus. 
They have not trusted in the child of promise, the one whom, who has come to save, the one who has come to redeem. And so, Father, I pray that in the midst of the mess, they would hear your word and they would hear you calling them to come, to turn away from their sins, to turn away from their gods, to turn away from their ways of trying to fix it. And may they trust that you and you alone are mighty to save. Lord, we ask big things because you're a big God and you're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So Lord, would you indeed magnify your name among us today? Lord, I pray that you would do great and marvelous things in our midst. And would you and you alone be lifted high? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to take a straw poll here this morning before we get in. How many of y'all are would would say uh, honestly that you are a control freak? Let's just get a, a show of hands here. How many of y'all would just confess it? This is a place for confession. For confession, you just say I'm a control freak. Okay. Now let me ask another question. How many of you would say? that you just think that life runs more smoothly when, when things go your way. Let me see a, a show of hands here. Yeah, I figured that there would be more hands than that. You're a control freak too, okay? That's the definition of control freak, okay? <laughs> so I, I figured that if I could just kind of pry, you would, you would raise your hand. How you doing, you know? Um, it's okay. Uh, wh what is it about that? What is it about being a control, being in control that, that is just so appealing to us, Right? Uh, think about your, your, your time as a parent, those of you here who are parents. Uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm recognizing that the leash is supposed to get a little bit longer than it was before. Back when you had little kids, babies, for instance, you're holding the baby in your hands, and the baby really can't do much. And, and, and you may be stressing over the late nights and the early mornings and all of that, but please understand this is the time of your life. Okay, because after that, they're going to learn how to crawl. And once they learn how to crawl, game on. Okay, and then all of a sudden they learn how to walk and, and, and they get, and, and, and life, as life goes on, they become more and more independent, more and more in control of their own lives and so on, and, and, and more and more longing to be in more control of their lives, right? And so that's when they start doing stuff, you know, they may wear something and they come by and you see them and you go, what are you wearing? And they're just like, well, you know, I just, you know, something, you know. And, and you look and you're like, no, you're going to turn your behind around. You're going to go right back in. You're going to find something else. And you can hear the stomp, 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 stomp. What is all of that? That's, I want to be in control of my life. And you should not be telling me what I can, can and cannot wear at this moment and all of that. And this is also you, parent, asserting, yes, I can. Uh, welcome to my world where I pay the bills and I pay, you know, your food and all of that and I can make you starve, you know, or something like that. Whatever you say, you know, that's, you know, kind and perhaps I'm a little more gracious than that. But, but you, 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 it's a, it's a battle of, of wills. It's a butting of the heads, right? You go to work and your boss says, hey, we got a new policy and you immediately roll your eyes. Oh, goodness, why in the world, you know, do we have to do this? Why do we have to implement it? I liked it the way it, it was. Uh, newsflash, no, you didn't. You complained about it the way that, <laughs> the way that it was and, and all of that. You just now have something new to complain about. And, and we just, why are we upset? Because we like it this way. We want, we want to be in charge. We want to be in control of things. Even when it comes to your own spiritual walk, perhaps you felt that way. That life is better when you've got this, right? Life's better when you're in control. I've been in plenty of churches over the years where there's been someone who has kind of been that person who always sends the emails, who always is knocking, what well, was knocking on my office door and always having suggestions for how we could do things better and, and so on. And, 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 and we would all be sitting there going, actually, we think things are kind of good right now. The Lord is, is kind and gracious and all that, but that, you know, but yeah, well, we could probably tweak these. And, and you go, what's going on here? 
It's probably, it's not all the time, but sometimes, at least in my experience back in those days, it was someone who was wanting a little bit more control, right? a little bit more over this, over the church and so on. Perhaps you find yourself saying, you know what, I've got this. I don't need to pray over this next decision. I can do this. I got this one. Lord, hold on. No, 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 no. I, 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 I can do this one. It reminds me of a story that I heard of myself when I was a little kid. Um, Mom told me this story that apparently I never wanted anybody to tie my shoes. Um, apparently I was however old you are when you're learning to tie your shoes. And, and, and I would sit there and mom would come over and she would say, here, let me help you. And I would go, no, no, I do it myself. You know? And that, that, I know for myself, has been a recurring theme. <laughs> of, hey, do you want any help or anything? Ask Annie. Hey, do you want any help? No, 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 it's good. I got it. I can do it myself. No, 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 it's fine. I'm, I'm okay. You know, just this constant thing that I have where I think that things are better when I'm in charge. I think things are better when, when I'm able to control the variables and all of these different things. It may be the way that we like it, but it's not the way that God has it. Do you get that? You see, God is the one who is in control of your life. God is the one that's in control of the circumstances in your life. God is the one who is writing the story. And the question that you have is the question that we've had all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Will you trust him with your story? Will you trust that your life will be okay when it's out of your hands and it's resting in his? Abraham had to learn that. We saw that in the last couple of weeks as uh, God was moving him to a place where he could finally say, Lord, I trust you with everything. And God put him to a very unusual test. It says in Genesis 22, God tested him to see if he would indeed trust him with everything. And that's when he said, I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Abraham, do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm going to keep my promise? It took all those years from Genesis 12 all the way to Genesis 22. Several decades are in between there for Abraham to get to a point where he says, I trust you. And the Lord did not take his son. Uh, in fact, the Lord blesses his son and blesses Abraham more than he could imagine. In fact, in Genesis 22, the Lord swears an oath that he is going to bless Abraham in, in astonishing ways and that he would bless his offspring as well. It's a good promise. But it took a while for Abraham to get to that point. Now we're going to see his children we're going to see his line, his son, Isaac, his grandson, Jacob. The Lord gives them promises as well. We're going to see this. The Lord gives them promises, but they have some of the same struggles that dad had and granddad had with Abraham. They have to get to a point where they have to realize that it's not their job to keep God's promises, but instead they have to trust that God himself is the one who is able to keep his promises, that God alone is the one who is able to keep his promises. So we're going to look at their stories, and we're just going to walk through and see how this happens, how God keeps, his, how God makes a promise to them. He gives a promise to Isaac. He gives a promise to Jacob. And we're going to see how they try to, 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 to take the wheel away from the Lord and they try to, to, to keep God's promises for him. But then we're going to see in each of their lives how they must resolve to trust that God and God alone is the one who's able to keep his promises. This is good and this is important for every single one of us because God has also given us his word. God has given us his promise, and he is taking many of us, perhaps even right now, 
through challenges and tests to see what we're going to do in that moment. Are we going to reach for the wheel and try to keep God's promises for him? Or are we going to trust that God and God alone can keep his promises? So let's look at this. Let's look at Isaac first and let's see how he, how he goes through this, this gauntlet. Here you have Isaac in chapter 25. As we already read, Abraham, uh, he gets remarried and so on. Uh, you get into verse 7 in chapter 25, and you see that Abraham dies at 175 years old. Just to do the math, it was, he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Just imagine what the playground looked like back in those days. When you've got these young, young moms and so on uh, with their little, little toddlers and everything, and then you have 90-something years old, you know, Sarah, you know, okay, okay son, you, you just go ahead. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not, it. no, no, I'm, I'm too old for this. What in the world? And, uh, <laughs> and, and all of that, that's what happened. Here they are in their, in their old age. Of course, Paul, being a, a very smart man, says Abraham is old and Sarah is advanced in years. Um, you know, she's, she's, she's been around for a while, you know, but, but, but he, old, old man Abraham, you know, and, and here they are, they receive his promise. Well, now at 175 years old, uh, 75 years after Isaac was born, Abraham dies, okay? And now the focus shifts from Abraham to his son, Isaac. Well, Isaac, He's married to Rebecca. If you want to know the story about that, you go back to chapter 24 and you read about how the Lord provided her. Uh, it wasn't guaranteed that she would be around. Uh, it had to be someone who was not from the Canaanites, someone who had to be uh, in the family. You say, wait a second, that's weird. First off, uh, apparently it's not that weird in all of our country, but it's all, <laughs> but, but it also recognized um, that back in those days, what mattered was, are they following the one true? true God. And the only way to ensure, at least the best way to ensure that they were following the one true God is they were in the family. And so, you know, yeah, back then they had cousins and so on, and it was, it was, it was intriguing. Um, but here they find uh, Rebecca, and you find in here in verse 19 that uh, Isaac takes Rebecca to be his wife in verse 20, and then he prays in verse 21 because she's barren. They're battling infertility. Notice the same types of things that his dad, his mom and dad went through, now he's going through. It's a test. Are you going to trust that God will keep his promise? Okay. God had already said that Isaac was the child of promise, that through him and through his line, God was going to bless the nations. Okay. And so all of that is true. Well, how is that true? And we're battling infertility. Do you, do you see the, the, the conundrum here? If she's not able to have a baby, how is this promise going to be true? So what does Isaac do? Well, here, he doesn't try to do like his dad, you know, where he took matters in his own hands and all of that. No, he goes to the Lord and he prays to him in verse 21. And the Lord granted his prayer and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, what's interesting, though, is she, uh, well, she conceives twice. She's got twins here, okay? And, and they're apparently uh, doing exactly what they're doing to this day. They're fighting, okay? Uh, if you want to know about, about all the stuff that's going on in the Middle East right now with Israel and with Hamas, and you've got the Palestinian conflict, you've got, of course, the terrorist conflict with Hamas and Hezbollah, you've got all the nations around that are involved in all of this too, much of the conflict... Much of the conflict that we see in 2023 is here in the book of Genesis, okay? So this, by the way, is why I snicker a little bit when any type of president or any type of American politician with term limits comes over and says, in my administration, we're going to bring peace to the Middle East. Just a little side note for everybody, spoiler alert, that is garbage, okay? It's not going to happen. 
Why isn't it going to happen? Well, just simple math. You are not going to end in four to eight years of a presidency, a war and a conflict that has been going on since what we just read. Okay? It's not going to happen. Uh, you can help and you can do all kinds of things, but this runs deep. The only one who is going to truly bring peace in the Middle East, I believe, is Jesus. And we are longing and awaiting his return when he will make all things new and he will reconcile all peoples to himself. That day is coming soon. Don't put your trust in politicians. They say things for your money and your vote. Uh, but these guys, but, 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 but this one here, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the only one who shed his blood and rose from the dead and sits on high and has all authority in heaven and on earth. He's one that you can trust, okay? So you see, there's fighting in the womb and all of that. And the Lord gives some revelation to Rebecca to help her understand why, you know, her belly is going this way and that way. Um, well, he says there are two nations in your womb. And there are two peoples from within you that will be divided. The one sh uh, shall be stronger than the other. Now, up until this point, you go, yeah, okay. You know, there, there are two in here. One is probably going to be stronger than the other one. One, obviously, is going to receive uh, the, the blessing as the firstborn. Uh, he's going to receive the birthright as the firstborn and all of these different things. But then the Lord does a little switcheroo. In the last line there, he says, the older shall serve the younger wait a second, that's not how this goes. I'm a firstborn. We're my firstborns here. Yeah, we're the firstborn, you know. We, we feel that sense of responsibility. We feel that, that sense of, of privilege. We have gone through a lot in our lifetimes um, as the guinea pigs in the family, or as Annie likes to say, the burnt waffle. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, the first one is, is the one where you just kind of, you got to gauge things, you know, and figure out how, the, how this thing's going to work. And this, you know, after that, they seem to come out pretty fine. But the first one, you know, we're, we're the ones that, that have to take it, you know, and, and, that's, and that's how things are. It's just the way that it is pretty much in just about every generation. And here, the Lord says the older is going to serve the younger. The younger is the one through whom I'm going to send the line of promise. It's not going to be the firstborn. It's going to be the younger one. And so notice they give, she gives birth, verse 24. The first one comes out all red and hairy. And the second one, grabbing the heel, his name is Jacob. And we realize, we know, because of what God said to Rebecca, she, uh, he is the one, Jacob is the one through whom the promise is going to come. Okay, well, so far, so good, right? Not so much. Because we saw in that second, uh, in that last part of this section here, verse 27, the boys grew up. Esau was a, he was a hunter. He was a man of the field, right? Kind of knew that. He came out all hairy, you know, and, he's, and everything. You knew that he was going to come out and he was going to be, you know, uh, the rugged man, right? And Jacob, you know, He's a quiet man, dwelling in tents, cooking with his mom, you know, and, and all of that. He's the mama's boy, you know, and, and it says there that, that Jacob, he's the, he's the, he's dad, dad loves him. He, you know, and why does he love him? It says, <laughs> verse 28, he loved Esau because he ate of his game, right? You know, he gives me meat. I love him. <laughs> and that's how it is. And so, so you notice though, that provides a conflict to the story. Because if dad favors the older, then maybe it's going to go through his head that he's going to take matters into his own hands. And he is going to bless the one that he likes more. By the way, it's generally bad for parents to play favorites. But that's exactly what we have here. So what, let's, let's find out about these folks. Well, you know about Esau uh, in the next uh, story here. Esau isn't exactly the, the, 
the greatest guy, and perhaps he's not the sharpest tool in the shed either, because he comes in one day after hunting, and he is exhausted as a day of hunting, and you know, he doesn't have weapons, you know, like, like, you know, he doesn't have a rifle, he doesn't have, you know, a crossbow or anything like that. If he's going to catch it, he's, he's probably going to have to, you know, catch it with his hands or, or at least, you know, be a good, a, a good shot in terms of throwing and spears and rocks and things like that. And so he's exhausted after a long day of, of manual labor and hunting. And, and, and here Jacob is, you know, making some stew and big brother says the little brother in verse 30, let me, eat some of the red stew because I'm exhausted. I am exhausted. And it says in parentheses, uh, his name was called Edom. Uh, why was he called Edom? Because he liked the red stew. And so they called him Red. Uh, that was his other name. This isn't working well for him in the name category. Harry and Red. Uh, that's what he's got so far. Uh, but he, he's exhausted. I want some stew. Give me some stew. And Jacob realizes that this may be a potential opportunity. Remember, he's the heel grabber. And so he says, you know, I'll give you that stew if you give me your birthright. What's the birthright? Well, as the older child in their uh, custom, in their culture, the firstborn gets a double portion of the inheritance. That's their birthright. So uh, if you have two kids, like here, Jacob and Esau, if you have two kids, the firstborn gets, they basically divide it up into thirds. And the firstborn gets two-thirds, while the secondborn gets one-third. So he gets a double portion of the inheritance. Jacob says, I want the birthright. Give me the birthright, and I'll give you some stew. Now, anybody looking at this on paper would go, this is a stupid uh, trade, right? This is incredibly one-sided. But listen to what Esau says in verse 32. He says, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? Totally short-sighted. Totally self-inflicting here. Jacob says, well, swear to me now. And so he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose away. And the, the uh, text here says, thus Esau despised his birthright. Already we're seeing conniving, deception. Do you see it here? God had already promised his mom, Rebecca, that he would be the one through whom the blessing would come. The older will serve the younger. And yet here's Jacob saying, let me help you out a little bit. Let me take matters into my own hands. I've got this one. You can sit it out. Do you see what's happening? Now, for those of us who look at that and say, you know, I mean, what is wrong with him? I can't believe that he would do something. Have you ever connived your way into getting something good for you? Have you ever been the trickster? Have you ever been the one to pull the rug out from someone else? Please understand that your situation there is very similar to Jacob's situation here. Do you trust that God is able to keep his promises? Do you trust that God actually has your good in mind? And you don't have to do all of the wheeling and dealing and all of that in order to get God's way. If you want God's way, get out of his way and let him be God. Well, in chapter 26, dad has a little struggle with that. The Lord gives him and clarifies to him a little bit more of the promise. You see that there's a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, which already clues you in that we're going to have some similar situations here to what happened in Genesis 12. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and listen, I will be with you and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. Notice, he's reiterating the promises that he gave to Abraham. 
He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to give you this land. I will be with you in all of this. All that Isaac has to do in this scenario is trust him. Trust that God is going to keep his promise. Well, what happens? Verse 6, he settles in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, "Uh, she's my sister. By the way, his dad did that twice. Uh, His dad did that uh, in chapter 12, and I believe it was in chapter 20 where he does it again. And and now here is his son doing the same thing. Just a little side note. Please understand um, uh, the phenomenon that we have here where dad commits sins or your parents commit sins. And notice how there's a struggle for those who grew up in that same house. There's There's a tendency for the child to struggle with some of those same sins, some of those same vices and so on. I don't know if Isaac heard these stories from his dad and just for whatever reason thought, that's a great idea. I don't know why he did that. I don't know if that's what happened, but for whatever reason, he makes the same mistake that his father did. It's not a deterministic uh, uh, thing. It's not something to go, well, dad did that and I did that too. Dad was an alcoholic and I'm going to be an alcoholic or or dad struggled or, or in this way and I'm going to struggle in this way. No, it does though mean that you need to be mindful of those things. Be mindful and and aware of those things. And perhaps even go to the Lord and say, Father, please give me wisdom that I don't make the same mistakes that my folks did. Okay? And that's what's going on here. Tell him you're my sister. He's, again, throwing, just like his dad, throwing his wife to the wolves, if you will, putting her in harm's way in order to protect himself. Why are you doing that, Isaac? Well, the answer is simple. Does he trust that God is able to keep his promises? Well, Abimelech, uh, in a very awkward situation, (laughs) in verse 8, said when they'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac. And the ESV says, laughing with Rebekah, his wife. Yeah, that's being really, really euphemistic. Um, In the Hebrew, basically, he caught them making out. Um, and perhaps a little bit more, and Abimelech goes, I can't believe, wait, you said she's your sister. (laughs) That's not how you treat your sister. And so he's going, what's going on? And so he says in verse 9, behold, she's your wife. How then could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said, well, because I thought lest I die because of her. And Abimelech says, well, what is this that you've done? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. And so Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You know, it's actually really good to have government friends like that. Um, But that's what he says. You know, whoever does this shall be put to death. Isaac, why in the world are you putting your wife in that situation? Why are you putting anybody in that situation? Because he's struggling to trust that God is able to keep his word. Now, the Lord was still good to them. Uh, there was a whole situation in the rest of chapter 26 where there are wells. Abraham uh, dug wells in his lifetime in that region. He dies, and when he dies, the Philistines come in, and they fill in all the wells, essentially cutting off the water supply. Isaac uh, uh, built, he actually redigs the wells and so on. They started to bring some water, God's faithfulness and his favor to them in this land. The Philistines then still go, hey, that's our water water and so on. Again, there is nothing new under the sun. There's still the battling over land and over property and all of these different things. It's the same thing that was going on here in Genesis 26. The Philistines say, that's our land, that's our water. And so Isaac then builds another well and that one, uh, it goes really well. Abimelech, sorry, that was a pun. Um, um, 
totally unintended. And Abimelech uh, uh, recognizes God's blessing on them, and he actually says, swear an oath with us. Uh, come into a, a covenant of sorts with us, and so on, because we see God's hand on you. And so you have all of that going on there in chapter 26. God is blessing Isaac to the point that now the other nations, Abimelech, the king, wants to get in on this because he sees God's blessing in his life and says, hey, I want to have some of that blessing in my life as well. Come into covenant with me so that perhaps God may have favor on me as he has with you. It's an amazing story of what we see in chapter 26. But then we get to chapter 27, and it's one step forward, two steps back. In chapter 27, Isaac it was old, his eyes were dim so that he couldn't see, and he calls Esau, his older son, and says to him, my son, Esau says, here I am. He says, behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. And now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, you know the promise of God. You know what the Lord had already said all the way back when the, when the boys were in the womb. And now you see Isaac kind of trying to take matters into his own hands, saying, I'm going to give the blessing to the one that I love, my, my boy, Esau. This now creates a tension in the story, but it gets even more complicated because now mama gets involved. Rebecca sees what's going on and Rebecca goes over to Jacob and in verse six, she says, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, listen to mom, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two young goats so that I may prepare for, uh, from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. Mama knows how to make dad happy. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. And now we've got this conflict going on, right? We got dad who's trying to bless Esau, completely circumventing God's plan. We've got now Rebecca and Jacob taking matters into their own hands to try to trick dad into blessing Jacob and all of that. It's a mess. It's a mess. And so notice Jacob goes and he, he uh, um, in verse 11, he says to Rebecca, uh, Rebecca he says, hey, uh, but there's a problem. I, I'm, I'm, I've got smooth skin. I'm not as hairy as hairy. And so, you know, what should I do and everything? And she says, um, uh, he says in verse 12, perhaps he'll feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and he'll bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. And she says, leave it to mama. She says, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So what they do is they go, they take uh, uh, an animal, they slaughter the animal, they use the skins, they kind of duct tape the skin onto, onto uh, Jacob and everything so that he feels hairy. And so he goes with the food in verse 18, he, give, he goes to his dad and he says, my father. And he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn right? I've, I've done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. And Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, uh, because the Lord your God granted me success. <laughs> and Isaac said to Jacob, well, won't you come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac realizes something's fishy here. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him, and he goes, this voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. By the way, how hairy was this man <laughs> with animal skins on him? Uh, what in the world? Um, he says, he, that certainly isn't Esau's voice, but that's definitely Esau's hands. He didn't recognize him, it says, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. He says, are you really my son Esau? He says, I am. And so he said, well, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him. He ate, he brought him wine and he drank. And he, he, his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he does so. And Isaac smelt the smell of his garments and he blessed him. He says, see, 
The smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the, the dew of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And that's the blessing. The blessing that God intended to give to Jacob in the first place. But now it's got all these fingerprints on him. It feels dirty, doesn't it? It feels like this wasn't the way that it should have gone. Why? Because that's what happens when you try to take matters into your own hands. Esau shows up. Uh, it says uh, that he came in from his hunting in verse 30. He prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. He says to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, well, I'm your son, your, your firstborn, Esau. And it says there in verse 33, then Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I've blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, oh my father. And, but he said, your, your brother came deceitfully and, and he's taken away the blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not received, reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, be, be, behold, I've, I've made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I've given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I've sustained him. And what, what then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me also, oh my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept and all that Isaac could say is here in verse 39 he says behold away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be and away from the dew of heaven on high by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck it's not a blessing that's a curse Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. The words got to Rebecca, mom, of course, wanting to protect her son, tells him to flee. He flees over to the house of Laban, uh, his uncle, Rebecca's brother, and he stays over there. What happens when we try to take matters into our own hands? All you do is create a mess. If you want things to go God's way, get out of God's way. Oh, there's so much to see here. You get into chapter 28. Jacob already has established himself as a deceiver a trickster, a con man. And there are a couple of moments in here where you see that God is going to keep his promise. You look at him and you go, that's the one? The promise is going to go through Jacob, the con man, the cheat? How in the world is that right? It's right because God is a God of amazing grace incredible grace. How does God keep his promises in your life? Have you seen your lives? Have you seen my life? How in the world does God look at me and say, that's how I'm going to fulfill my promise. That's how I'm going to fulfill my mission. I'm going to work through 
us, through y'all, and, and through you, and through me, he says, this is how I'm going to make my name great among all peoples and among na all nations. How does he do that? It's by grace. Grace and grace alone. Look at what happens. In chapter 28, uh, uh, Jacob leaves and Jacob has a dream in verse 10 as he's dreaming he's he's sitting he's laying he's got, only has a stone for a pillow it says there in verse 12 it says he dreamed and behold there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven and behold the angels of God were ascending and descending on it and behold the Lord stood above it and said I am the Lord the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Notice he doesn't say it's because you're good because you're great. It's because you're a swell guy. It's not why he does it. He says, I'm going to do this because I made a promise and I'm going to keep my promise <laughs> because that's who I am. See, by the way, when you get into John one, uh, the Lord is talking to a man named Nathaniel. Uh, his brother Philip had met Jesus and he says, uh, he goes back to back home to his brother and he says, Nathaniel, we met the one that the law of Moses and the prophets were talking about. We met Jesus of Nazareth. He's the promised Messiah. And Nathaniel goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth wasn't exactly the, you know, the Ritz or anything. It was, it was, it was a little bit of a rundown town and so on. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He says, well, why don't you come and see? He comes and sees him. Jesus says, hey, there's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Guess where he got that one from? Goes all the way back to the, the original guy, to Jacob. And he says, how, how, how do you know me? He says, oh, well, when your brother Philip was talking to you under the fig tree, I saw you. And he goes, oh, <gasps> You really are the one. You're the Messiah. Rabbi, yeah, you're the one. And he says, am I the one because I saw you under the fig tree? He says, you're going to see much greater things than that. He says, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. John 1, where's that coming from? Right here. What the Lord is teaching us is this. He's saying, hey, Jacob saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. There was a ladder that was able to connect heaven and earth together. John 1, he says, I am that ladder. It's me. Jacob, do you believe God's promise? Do you believe that God is able to do everything that he said? Jacob, do you trust in the ladder? Does Jacob believe? Does Jacob give his life to the one who is able to connect heaven and earth? Does he do so? Not yet. In chapter 29, you realize that it's a little bit of a mess. He finds this one girl named Rachel, and he just falls in love with her. Oh, my goodness. He goes over to dad and says, hey, dad, can, uh, or to Laban, he says, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? He says, yeah, how about you do this? How about you work for about seven years, and, uh, and after those seven years, then I'll give, them, I'll give her hand to you in marriage, which, by the way, dads, is a great idea. Um, so, you know, just write that down. You want to marry my daughter? Work for me seven years. Let's do this. And... Uh, <laughs> and so he does. And, and after seven years, they have a big wedding. And, and, and everything was, was wonderful. Uh, uh, it was going to be a beautiful uh, uh, ceremony. Everything went well. There's just one little problem. The problem is, as you see in verse 20, uh, 23, in the evening, uh, 23 of chapter 29, in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. He fell in love with Rachel. This was a wedding of Jacob and Rachel. So why is Leah in the honeymoon? Uh, well, in the evening, verse 23, he took his daughter Leah, brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Uh, it says in verse 25, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Wakes up, turns around, the sun is out. He looks and goes, ah! 
because it's not Rachel. It's big sister Leah. And so he goes, what in the world's happening? He goes over to, uh, to dad in verse 25. What is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve with you, uh, serve uh, with you for Rachel? Wasn't that the deal? Why then have you, what's the word? Why then have you deceived me? Ooh, it hurts when it happens to you, doesn't it, Jacob? Oh yeah, he's got a little dose of his own medicine. Well, how does Laban respond? Laban says, well, you know, in our, in our culture, um, to give the younger before the firstborn, that's not done in our country. So, so how about this? How about you work one more week, and then at the end of the week, um, I'll, I'll give you the other also in return for serving me uh, for another seven years. So he says, finish this week, and then, you know, uh, uh, you know then we'll, we'll fix all of this. So Jacob did so. He completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Now he's got both sisters not smart. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah also. You saw Zilpah uh, earlier on in here too. Why do they say all of that? Because the from now all the way into the rest of chapter 30, it is an absolute mess. They uh, Jacob impregnates all four women. All right? Leah and Rachel, the sisters, Although Rachel, it took a long time before she finally, before the Lord opened up her womb. Uh, but Leah and Rachel and their servants, Zilpah and Bilhah, their children, their sons are the sons of, that became the tribes of Israel. And one of the things that I love to tell people uh, as I, as, as I you know, have conversations and people are like, how do you believe that the Bible is true? One of the answers that I give them is this story. Um, why? Because who in their right mind would share this story? Right? Who? So, how did your family come around? <laughs> well, <laughs> buckle up. Um, you know, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess of all of the stuff that's going on. Jacob taking matters into his own hands and so on. Now he's getting his own, a dose of his own medicine. Now you've got his wives. These uh, sibling rivalry as they're fighting each other, you know, to, for who can get in, uh, who can have Jacob for the night and all of that. And you have all of this along with them giving their servants as surrogates to have even more children. It's this arms race between Leah and Rachel. And in the result of all of that, you have the foundation for what would be the people of Israel. In all of the mess... God's hand is there. Do you think, when you look at your family, do you feel the despair uh, when you look at your children and you see that they're not walking with the Lord like you would hope that they were walking with the Lord? Or you see your spouse who is not walking with the Lord like you hope they would be walking with the Lord? Or you look at yourself and you see that you aren't walking with the Lord like you hope that you were walking with the Lord? Do you, do you see folks perhaps even in your, uh, your, your, your groups where, where we gather together and, 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 and so on and you go, you know, we're... You know, we've got struggles. All of us are, are, have struggles and we're talking to each other and sharing with each other the struggles that we have. Some are the consequences of our own choices. Some of them are the consequences of other people's choices. Some of them is just life in a fallen world. It's a mess. Guess what? All of us have it. All of us struggle. All of us have stuff that we would rather not be made public. And in the midst of it all, do not feel despair. Why? Because God is going to do this his way. God is going to accomplish his purpose. God is the only one that can take a mess and turn it into a miracle. How do I know that? Because the world was empty and dark. And God said, let there be light. The God of Genesis 1 is the God of Genesis 29 and 30. It's the same God. He takes the mess, formless, empty, and dark, just like the mess of Jacob's family, and he says, watch me. Watch what I can do. Jacob eventually will get to a point where the only way He's still, he's still a little stubborn. He's still trying to get his way. He's still manipulating and conniving and all of that. And then he gets to chapter 32, and God does something amazing. In chapter 32, verse 22, it says, The same night, 
that he arose, uh, he, he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Now, just to know, he's about to have a confrontation with Esau. Okay, And this is right in between. In chapter 32, it begins with Esau saying, I'm coming. And, and in chapter 3, you get the resolution of that. We won't look at that. You can read that on your own just to see how all of that resolves. It's actually amazing how that story resolves. But I want you to see what happens in between that night. What happened that night? It says he took his, his family, sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And it says a man wrestled with him. This mysterious person wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, it's this fight that's going on here, this wrestling that's happening, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, the, the man to Jacob, let me go. For the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unto, unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob said, well, tell me your name. He said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Now look what happens here. Verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Peniel means the face of God. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of, his, because of his hip. And therefore to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of his thigh. I wish we had time to look at the rest of the story, but Jacob is not the same. He still has some bumps along the way, certainly. But there's a radical change between Jacob before and Jacob after this moment. There are some who love to take matters into their own hands. You just think things are better when you're in control. And I think that the Lord is telling us in this story that he may have to break you. If that, what it, is that, if that is what it takes for you to let go of your hands and let God run your story. You may be going through the struggles that you're going through and you're thinking the answer is to get more control, to take over more. It may be that God is saying for you to let go and trust that he is able to do what you cannot do. Are you going through a trial right now? Are you feeling the temptation to take matters into your own hands? Are you saying to others and to the Lord, just let me do it? Could it be that the Lord is telling you and walking you through the same similar types of things that he was going through with Jacob and saying, let go? I'm going to bless you. I may have to break you first. But through it all, trust me. Trust me. You can try to do things your way. <laughs> but if you're going to do things God's way, you're going to have to get out of the way. And when you do, you find that it's there that you'll see his presence. It's there that you'll see his face. It's there that you'll receive his blessing. It's when you let go 
and you trust God to fulfill his promises. God's going to, God has made very great promises to us. Um, but in our sinful ways, we love to try to take matters into our own hands. Instead of doing that, how about you just trust that God and God alone is able to keep his promises. Let's pray. As we prepare our hearts and our minds for the Lord's Supper, I want to speak first off to those of you who may be here that do not trust in Jesus. Please understand, uh, first off, that what we're about to partake uh, here with the Lord's Supper uh, is, is not for you to participate in, uh, but rather for you to observe, for you to watch, and for you to see. There's a message that we want to communicate to you. And that message is that our Lord has given us a promise, and he has given us a promise keeper. The promise is that we no longer have to live in our sins, and we no longer have to go uh, rummaging around in the dark, trying to make sense of our lives, but rather we can look to Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God and the light of the world, and we can trust in him and all that he has done by dying on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven and rising from the dead so that we can have life. And as he said, you could have it to the full. And so hear this message, trust in Jesus. And do not trust in your own ways. Do not try to take matters in your own hands. Trust that God and God alone is able to keep his promises and he does so through Jesus and you will be saved. For those of us who have trusted in Christ as our savior, let's just take a few moments to look to him. Perhaps you have to confess and say to him, Lord, I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to grab a hold of the wheel. I've been trying to take matters in my own hands instead of trusting that you've got me. And I want to, again, entrust my life to you. My life is yours. My life is yours.